This is episode number 203, How Not to Diet with Dr. Michael Greger. Welcome to the Sonia Looney Show. This is a podcast about how to live a high-performance life, spanning the categories of mindset, plant-based nutrition, and inspiring stories to help you be better every day. It turns out a calorie is not just a calorie. 100 calories of chickpeas is a different impact on the body than 100 calories of chicken or chicklets, based in part on different effects on their impact of uh, absorption, appetite, or microbiomes. You know, different foods can rev up your appetite, for example. It's not just what you eat, it's what you absorb. Fiber, for example, in whole intact plant foods can trap calories, flush them out the other end, and even if you do eat and absorb the same number of calories, the calorie may still not be a calorie. Now, the same number of calories eaten at a different time of day, in a different uh, meal distribution, or after different amounts of sleep can translate into different amounts of body fat. I hope you guys have had a fantastic week. This was my first week where I actually left home in seven months, and we just went to Squamish, and we have a place there. We got to hang out with some of our friends outside and ride some rad trails and also got to go to Vancouver Island to visit my in-laws, which meant that Matt and I got to ride together. And also my 72-year-old father-in-law comes out mountain biking with us and shows us around. So it's pretty awesome. Thank you for sharing your ear space with me today. I'm really thankful that you guys are a part of my community and it really does help keep me motivated whenever I get messages from you guys and whenever I see you guys sharing the show with your friends on social media. So greatly appreciate that. Thank you very much. So let's talk about Dr. Michael Greger, today's guest. And you may have heard his very well-known voice on nutritionfacts.org. Nutritionfacts.org is Dr. Greger's public service destination for all things nutrition, health, and preventing diseases. And it was inspired by his grandma, who was basically wheeled into a place to die with heart disease. And after finding Nathan Pritikin's plant-based diet information, his grandma lived to be in her 90s. So he's dedicated his entire life to combing through thousands and thousands of scientific journal publications and getting information out there on what the healthiest diet is and how to prevent all these different lifestyle diseases. You may have heard him on a previous episode of the podcast where we recorded about his book, How Not to Diet, which came out a few years ago. It's a fantastic book. And this episode is about his newer book, How Not to Die. In fact, Dr. Greger is writing a new book every two to three years and spending most of his time on the road speaking about nutrition and is super busy. He's a medical doctor, a New York Times bestselling author many times over, and an internationally acclaimed speaker. He also has the How Not to Die cookbook, which you might want to check out. He's been on Dr. Oz, The Colbert Report, pretty much everywhere. And he also recently released a book called How to Survive a Pandemic and has been releasing several videos a week on COVID-19 that I found personally very helpful. So check it out, nutritionfacts.org. 
If you're enjoying this podcast, don't forget to hit the subscribe button on Spotify or Apple Podcasts or anywhere you like. We release an episode every single week and we have great guests lined up and I wouldn't want you guys to miss out. And I also have a free weekly newsletter that you can get at sonyalooney.com slash newsletter with my best tips and also the podcast of the week. And thank you to those of you who are donating money to the show on PayPal and on Patreon, which is on my sonyalooney.com slash podcasts site. And Patreon and PayPal are just ways that you can help support to make sure that this show sounds amazing to fund my audio engineer, Roma, and my assistant, Tina, who makes sure that this show gets uploaded every single week and keeps the onslaught of amazing guests coming in. So let's talk about Dr. Greger's book, How Not to Diet. The obesity pandemic in North America and globally is quickly escalating. And according to the WHO, obesity is one of today's most blatantly visible yet most neglected public health problems. Paradoxically, coexisting with undernutrition and the escalating epidemic of overweight and obesity, or globesity, it's taking over many parts of the world. And if immediate action is not taken, millions will suffer from an array of serious health disorders. And many are suffering from an array of serious health disorders. But here's the thing. Weight, weight loss isn't easy. It's really hard for pretty much everybody. We are wired to go after those high-calorie foods because of the old days. <laughs> but the food industry doesn't care. They make sure that their high-calorie, low-nutrient foods are highly addictive. And many Americans are nutritionally bankrupt. And weight loss? People will do anything, including dangerous surgeries and reaching for diet pills that are actually not effective or safe. So enter Dr. Michael Greger's book, How Not to Diet, and he talks about all kinds of really interesting things. In fact, the book is huge. He has an audiobook as well that he read and recorded himself, 24 hours of amazing information. And we barely scratched the surface in this short episode. But some of the things we talked about were why everything in moderation doesn't work, the psychology and marketing of our food choices, our interpretation of how many calories are in food depending on what it is set next to on the plate, why a calorie in is not a calorie out. We talked about chronobiology, if fat genes actually exist, fasting for athletes, how to have permanent weight loss, and some of his best weight loss tweaks, which is the entire second half of the book. Things like vinegar, negative calorie preloading, timing of when to eat, and eating certain spices. And if you pick up his free app, or I guess you would download his free app, the Daily Dozen app, it's free. It has 12 foods that you should add into your diet every day, which came out after How Not to Diet. And he also has recently added the foods and spices that you should add into your diet to optimize weight loss and help you burn fat. What I love about this book is that it's not a gimmick, it's a lifestyle. Eating a whole foods plant-based diet is scientifically proven to be the best way to lose weight, keep it off, and prevent disease. And adding in these healthy tweaks to just give you a little bit of an extra boost if you are trying to lose weight is super helpful and super fascinating as to why they work. And also the beginning of the book is all about the obesity pandemic and it was just so fascinating because I learned all these things that I had never heard of before. Make sure to check out the show notes to pick up Dr. Greger's books. You can also find them on nutritionfacts.org, on Amazon, anywhere you buy books, but they are listed out into the show notes. Dr. Greger is one of my heroes and he is totally changing the world and giving us the information that we need so that we can be our best, healthiest selves. 
So here is Dr. Michael Greger. Welcome to the show, Dr. Greger. I'm happy to be here. Or I guess I should say, welcome back. Indeed. Yeah. I'm happy to be back. I'm excited about your new book, How Not to Diet, and also How to Survive a Pandemic. That's the title, right? You're like two books behind. Exactly. Yeah. How to Survive a Pandemic is the latest. Got to stay up to everything. But today I really want to talk about how not to diet because the audience is primarily recreational runners and cyclists who are really fit people, but who are interested in just getting healthier and even shaving off an extra five to 10 pounds to go quicker uphill. Sounds good to me. That's what the book's for. Perfect. So everything in moderation is something that a lot of people say, oh, yeah, like, it's fine. I'll, I'll just have everything in moderation. And what is the problem with saying that? Oh, the industry loves moderation. When you actually do, and the reason is, if you actually do studies, surveys to ask people, what do you think moderation is? You know, what do you think? How much chocolate is moderation? How much fried chicken is moderation? And you know what people say? All the studies have shown that people say they define moderation as what they themselves already eat. If they eat chocolate three times a day, that's moderation. If they eat once a week, that's moderation. So it's the perfect industry message, right? Because it's basically the industry saying, keep doing exactly what you want. Continue your overindulgence in crappy food. So, I mean... What is it? It's a meaningless term, right? I mean, should we be smoking in moderation? Should we be, you know, driving into 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 oncoming traffic in moderation? I mean, there's things that are healthy for us, things that are unhealthy for us, and things that are unhealthy we should try to minimize on a day-to-day basis. Yeah, and I loved how you went through the psychology of how we interpret how many calories is in a meal and how having celery next to a burger makes you think there's less calories in the burger. And we just don't even realize that these things are happening. It is crazy. That was one of my favorite chapters, looking at the role of marketing and how indeed. So, you know, when when McDonald's jumps on the bandwagon of promoting health and fitness, you know, the naive amongst us will think, oh, that's great. They're finally, you know, cleaning up their act. They realize the death and destruction that they've paid. And so now they're really trying to give back and be socially responsible. Instead, the research shows that people eat more crap, right? So you tell people, make sure you exercise and eat healthy, and then present them with, you know, uh, carrots or a donut or a burger and, you know, French fries or, you know, celery sticks or something. They're more likely, given the fitness messaging, to actually go for the unhealthiest choice And the psychology seems to be like, oh, well, I'll do the healthy thing next time. And there's an out. Oh, yeah, I can just I can just burn off these calories. Right. And I'll do that tomorrow so I can indulge today. I mean, it's just remarkable. Right. And so you show uh, the same cheeseburger or cheesesteak next to a little side salad. And you ask how many calories are in this entire meal. The calories is less than if you just showed the cheesesteak. So it's just somehow there's like this halo effect by adding other foods. Of course, if you add more foods, the calories should go up. But no, it actually goes down. I mean, all these kind of quirks of human psychology, I mean, would otherwise just be seen as kind of, oh, that's kind of humorous. That's kind of funny. But no, it's malicious in that they are actively looking for loopholes, ways to manipulate people. And they're very successful 
at getting people to undermine their own health through this, uh, you know, through the combination of taste engineers and, and food psychologists, child psychologists. How can we hook kids into nagging their parents to get them to eat multicolored fluorescent marshmallows for breakfast? I mean, it's just remarkable what the food industry is able to do. So we can both, So that's why we just have to reclaim our health and our family's health and our community's health by fighting back and uh, eating the healthiest food, which is real food that grows out of the ground. Yeah. And also you had a bunch in the book about what we put on the package. So if you phrase like with this with smoking and the way that we put warnings on packages versus if you put a warning in a different way and worded it in a different way on a package, how you're going to be more likely to eat it. Absolutely amazing. Right. So offering some smoke quitting aids like Nicorette gum and things, you think, well, all it can do is, uh, you know, it would help cut down on smoking. But when you advertise that, again, in the back of their mind is like, oh, I have an escape valve for all my built up stress. Oh, I can just always quit anytime I want. And so it actually makes people less likely to quit to give them that message. And so that's why if you give people vitamin pills, you know, or they're actually placebos, but you tell them that they're eating vitamin C pills or whatever, they actually eat less healthfully or they smoke more because in the back of their mind, they're thinking, well, I'm doing a really healthy thing, so I can kind of counterbalance that. I have a little, I mean, I can indulge a little more. And so, yeah, I mean, it's just, yeah, these things that just don't make any sense. So I talk about a lot of these psychological quirks just really explain why people do what they do. Like the, you know, what the hell effect, which is this, you know, psychological phenomenon where people, you know, if they break one of their goals, one of their rules, you know, and eat a cookie or something, they end up just eating the whole bag when it doesn't make any sense. If you bro- I mean, if you, you know, doing something that undermines your goals, you'd think, well, it's even more important not to eat the second cookie. But no, people have this like, well, I already ate one cookie. Well, then screw it. It just doesn't make any sense. So that's why it's just important. Uh, the first step is understanding your own mind, understanding human psychology. Um, and once you become aware, aware of these things, then you can just laugh about it and be like, oh, that's what's happening. And you can just, you know, you cannot fall prey to some of these psychological traps. So that, yeah, that was uh, one of the funnest chapters in uh, How Not to Diet was learning about all those traps, which I didn't even realize. Yeah, I think giving people the power back to realize when they're being duped, like, actually, I was mad that some I have been duped by a lot of those things. And I see it showing up now every single day. And then I have the power to say no, because I know that I'm being duped psychologically. Exactly. Exactly. Absolutely. And, and then you can develop this really kind of us versus them thing. It's like, oh, my God, that's slimy. Look what they're trying to do with this advertisement or, you know, they're really just trying to, you know, dig their hooks into our natural evolutionary drives, which, you know, led to survival in a different world, but now lead to the opposite survival, contributing to the very chronic diseases that are so increasing our risk of death and disability. So I want to get into a few of the the details here. So I think a really big thing that people need to learn that I think is well done in your book is you describing how a calorie is not a calorie. Like a calorie, 10 calories of chocolate is not the same as 10 calories of salad. And the way that you burn off those calories, calories in versus calories out, when I changed my diet to plant-based, like it was seven years ago, and I really noticed that whenever I ate primarily and, and then eventually all plant-based foods, the way that I burn calories was different than whenever I was eating. And like, I'd ride my bike 20 hours a week and eating like still a pretty quote clean diet, but with animal products. And I would still gain weight. Mm. 
And it was that calories on a yeah, calorie yeah. phenomena. Yeah, yeah. In medical school, we're taught that, you know, a calorie is a calorie. Uh, you know, calorie from one source is just as fattening as a calorie from any other. But it turns out a calorie is not just a calorie. 100 calories of chickpeas is a different impact on the body than 100 calories of chicken or chicklets, based in part on different effects on their impact of uh, absorption, appetite, or microbiomes. You know, different foods can rev up your appetite, for example. It's not just what you eat, it's what you absorb, fiber. For example, in whole intact plant foods can trap calories, flush them out the other end. And even if you do eat and absorb the same number of calories, the calorie may still not be a calorie. Now, the same number of calories eaten at a different time of day, in a different uh, meal distribution, or after different amounts of, of sleep can translate into different amounts of body fat. Even the exact same foods eaten differently can have different effects. So it's not just you know what we eat, but how and when. Yeah, and I travel a lot to different time zones as, as you do, and you travel a lot more than I do. But there's a lot in your book about chronobiology and just like the different times of day and how that can affect you. And I was also thinking about how you could use that to recover from jet lag faster. Have you used that? Uh, yeah, no, chronobiology, that was, again, I mean, one of the things, I mean, it's just something that I really didn't know about. I knew about chronotherapeutics, whereas you know, if you give chemotherapy, for example, at a different time of day, you can actually get less side effects, more effective anti-cancer treatment. So, you know, I guess it's, I shouldn't be surprised that there's this field of chronoprevention, that lifestyle interventions at different times of day, exercising differently, different times of day, eating at different times of day, sleeping at different schedules can have different effects in terms of prevention, in terms of reducing one's risk of chronic disease. And so, yeah, that was really one of the things that, uh, I learned the most of. So for example, I recommend people eat a uh, stop eating after 7 p.m. Because of our circadian rhythms, food eaten at night is more fattening than the exact same food eaten earlier in the day. So the fewer calories after sundown, the better. Yeah. And I also thought about that in relation to intermittent fasting, because that's a question. I don't fast because I, I don't know the amount of exercise I do. I feel like I need to be eating I can't just eat in a really short window of time, but with intermittent fasting and eating more in the morning versus eating more at night, I thought that that was a really helpful tip. Yeah. Yeah. No, no. So, uh, that's really, uh, so the largest chapter in how not to diet is on intermittent fasting. I talk about not only water only fasting, modified fasting, but alternate day fasting, five, two fasting, 25, five fasting, modified, um, you know, mimicking diets and time restricted feeding. And I mean, you can look at the pros and cons of each. But the, really, the takeaway is early time-restricted feeding. So it's, uh, narrowing your feeding window to 12 hours or less throughout the day, but critically important is when is that window. We want it earlier, the better. Um, if anything, we skip uh, supper, not breakfast, and shift as many calories towards the beginning of the day as possible. And that's better not just from a weight loss standpoint, the loss of body fat, but also um, in terms of uh, circadian rhythms and stress hormones and kind of on down the list. Our bodies were not meant to eat at night. And the people that listen to this podcast are very familiar with the guests and talking about why a plant-based diet is best for longevity and prevention and reversal of diseases. But why is a plant-based diet the best for weight loss as well? Oh, well, I mean, so the first half of the book, first half of How Not to Diet, is all the, I wanted to kind of build the optimal weight loss solution from the ground up, came up with 17 criteria for an optimal weight loss diet. And so I just go through the list. I mean, besides being, you know, safe, sustainable, nutritious, and healthy, in terms of weight loss efficacy, 
you know, uh, there's, uh, uh, you know, anti-inflammatory foods clean from industrial, um, uh, from hormone disrupting chemicals full of fiber rich foods to trap calories, flush them out of the body um, and on down the list. And it really comes down to the diet that best fits the 17 criteria, though some diets are better than others, is one where people are basically centering their diets around whole plant foods. And it turns out the single healthiest diet is also the most effective diet for weight loss. And that's what we see. The greatest weight loss in six and 12 months at any other um, randomized control trial ever in the medical literature that didn't have some kind of, you know, uh, calorie restriction, like people eating shakes, people eating real food and not enforcing exercise. Nothing has ever worked better than a plant-based diet. And no wonder if you go down these criteria, you can see why, ah, oh, well, obviously um, there's a reason. Then of course, the second half of the book is all the kind of tips, tricks, tweak techniques, basically to accelerate the loss of body fat, regardless of what you eat the rest of the time. Um, I just wanted there to finally be an evidence-based diet book. And we're so much kind of you know, uh, nutritional noise and nonsense out there. And, you know, I say thousands of studies, you know, digging up every possible kind of uh, hack to uh, give people, you know, every possible advantage. So, yeah, I'm excited there to finally be something that people can dig their teeth into in terms of what does the science say, as opposed to, you know, all the silliness coming out of, uh, you know, Check Out All magazines. Yeah, it's really amazing just how people are looking for the next crazy diet that tells them they can eat all this crap and lose weight. But really, it's not a good long term. Like a diet shouldn't be something you just do for a couple of weeks. It should be the way you eat the rest of your life. Yeah, that's critically important, right? Diets don't work by definition because going on a diet implies at some point you're going to go off of a diet. A permanent weight loss requires permanent dietary change. Healthier habits just have to become a way of life. And if they're going to be lifelong, you want them to lead to a long life. Thankfully, the single best diet proven for weight loss may just so happen to be the safest, cheapest way to eat for the longest, healthiest life. So what was your favorite tip? Like the second half of the book has all these different things that you can add into your diet to lose weight. Which was your favorite one? Well, favorite one is the Prandellenberg one. It's just because it's the only one that I was able to synthesize. Everything else is just uh, cold for the medical literature as, you know, these things that have been proven to accelerate the loss of body fat. But I found some obscure Russian cosmonaut literature that suggested that there's actually a way uh, in exercise memetics, something you can trick your body into thinking it's exercise and accelerate the loss of, burning of body fat. And it has to do with this cool hormone that a chamber of your heart releases and uh, basically sleeping at a, at a certain degree angle with your head down uh, accomplishes all these interesting things. But I would encourage people to read that section. There's a lot of caveats, a lot of things. Anyone with a family history of glaucoma or head trauma or all down these lists, you know, may not want to do it and it has side effects, et cetera, et cetera. So there's lots of caveats, but I was most proud of that just because it's something that I couldn't believe wasn't, you know, I, I was, the, I, I, I believe I'm the first to kind of put it all together, though it's the one tweak that we don't actually have any evidence for because it's never been put to the test. But the, 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 the theoretical basis, I think, is really solid. And uh, hopefully someone will actually uh, um, uh, run a trial and we'll see if it actually works. Yeah. And that's tilting the bottom of your bed up. I actually. Top, top of your bed. Top of the bed. Down. Oh, yeah. Bottom of the bed up. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. So your feet are higher than your head. I actually heard yeah. of that. This is like super random, but I heard of that about four or five years ago because I was always looking for a way to improve my performance with jet lag. If, if you're going somewhere, you know, eight, ah. 12 hour difference. 
And then you have to perform, like do a hundred mile mountain bike race. You have to perform. And I read that doing that could help actually with jet lag. Interesting. I, I don't know I've if it works, but I, I actually never did it, but I read about it. And then I saw uh, it again in your book and was <laughs> like, I've seen that before. Ah, cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So they use it. Yeah, they use it for training astronauts because the way that microgravity, the effects it has on your on your uh, on the, your blood distribution. So my husband, anyway, yeah, cool. My husband's favorite weight loss tip was the vinegar. So having was it two oh. tablespoons a day of vinegar? Teaspoons. All you need teaspoons. is two teaspoons a day. Ah, but with each meal. With, so yeah, two teaspoons a day. That's that's how the math adds up. But yeah, I recommend two teaspoons of vinegar with every meal. And that's just because the effect only lasts four hours. So you can't just do two tablespoons because then for the next 20 hours, you're not going to have the effect. So you got to space it out throughout the day. And the active dose of acetic acid is indeed found in those two teaspoons. Basically, when our body metabolizes the acetic acid vinegar, we get a natural boost in a fat-burning enzyme called AMPK, causing people to lose um, uh, about five pounds over three months for just pennies a day and without removing anything from their diet. So it's, yeah, yeah, yeah. And there's all sorts of really yummy vinegars out there. So yeah, I've become quite the vinegar aficionado, not for the weight loss piece, but it also has benefits in terms of blood sugar, metabolic syndrome, all sorts of neat stuff. So yeah, yeah, very, very cool stuff. Yeah, in your and your Daily Dozen app there, just for everybody listening, it's free. And there's been an update now that you have all of your weight loss tweaks in there for people to do. And one of the ones that I really thought was cool was the negative calorie preloading. Can mm. you can you tell people what that is? Yeah, negative calorie preloading just means starting out a meal with fruits, vegetable soup, salad, or simply a tall glass of water, basically anything with less than 100 calories per cup. So, for example, you know, eating a large apple before a meal is so filling that people go on to eat about 300 calories less food. Well, wait a second, an apple only has about 100 calories. So 100 calories in, 300 calories out. An apple eaten before a meal effectively has negative 200 calories. Yeah, and you also had uh, cumin and also black cumin as two separate ones. So what's the difference between those two in terms of weight loss? Like why put two different ones in there? Oh, well, so there are two completely different spices. Oh. Um, belong to two completely different plant families. And so, yeah, it could be a little, uh, a little uh, confusing. But uh, yeah, black cumin, also known as nigella seeds, uh, the, uh, I mean, and it's for like three cents a day. You can take advantage of Isaiah 2825, who's uh, actually biblical references to black cumin seeds, reduces your cholesterol, blood pressure, blood sugars, and your waistline. Um, uh, cumin, you can use regular cumin. A totally different uh, food, acts as an appetite suppressant. Those randomized to a half teaspoon of both lunch and dinner over a period of three months. Less about four more pounds and an extra inch off their waist. Found comparable to the obesity drug Orlistat, but without the uh, kind of unsavory side effects. I couldn't believe in your book all the different things that happened to people that took these drugs to for weight loss. Like how unsafe they were. And also with the surgeries. <laughs> like I just couldn't believe it. Yeah, people willing to kind of rearrange their anatomy. And it's interesting, the reason people do these surgeries, they're willing to go under the knife for these risky major operations is because they feel, well, you know, diet just doesn't work for me, right? So I have to go to surgery. But you realize all surgery is, is an enforced diet. It's like internal jaw wiring, right? So I mean, the most common surgery is this gastric sleeve surgery. All it does, they cut out and throw away most of your stomach. So your stomach is just like this teeny little, you know, golf ball sized 
pocket, and so you can only eat a little bit amount at the same time. So basically, if you could just, you know, not eat that, so it's just forcing you to basically eat less food, and so uh, proving basically diet is the reason. <laughs> so the food you eat um, is the reason why you're so heavy, and so of course diet works for you, but you just don't have you know, anyone basically putting this, you know, stapling part of your anatomy off. And so, but even that um, may not be effective for the long term. People find ways to get around that and they often suffer long-term nutritional deficiencies, all sorts of problems. So better than restricting the quantity of food, either through, you know, uh, you know, diet shakes or, or, or surgery, better to improve the quality of food, reducing the calorie density of food, so you can eat massive amounts of delicious, wonderful food, but has so few calories that you don't even have to worry about overeating. There's just your physical stomach capacity, even a normal stomach, it just isn't big enough to accommodate excess calories of natural foods that we were you know, evolved to be able to handle. Our bodies were never um, meant to be able to you know, have thousands of calories in a pound of food, and so our, our appetite processes just can't uh, stay on top of it. Yeah. And then there's also the genetics piece where people say, well, I have, I have fat genes, so I'm just destined to be this way. And you had some really interesting things about pregnancy. And if the mother, even if it was the non-biological mother, a surrogate mother was overweight, then the kid wow. is way more likely and, and they're not even genetically connected. Isn't that, yeah, that's just remarkable stuff. So that brings into the concept of epigenetics. So, uh, right. A, a child born to a fat surrogate mother more likely to be overweight than born to a fat biological mother. Because even though zero genetics linked, but just being in an intrauterine environment from someone who's overweight basically kind of um, uh, turns genes on and off and sets this child off on uh, with a kind of a, a handicap um, in terms of uh, being kind of metabolically broken in a way that they're much more likely to become obese. But in terms of genetics in general, you know, the so-called fat gene that's been discovered accounts for less than 1% of the size difference between people, um, regardless of your genes. It's what we eat. I mean, you know, and uh, we just need to eat natural food that our body has the capacity that has uh, evolved over millions of years to be able to control our intake. But, you know, that's impossible with some of these you know, highly processed foods, these calorie-rich foods that, uh, you know, our body just has no, by the time our satiety kicks in, we've already, we've already eaten way too many calories, right? But we eat natural food and you got to chew and I, you know, all the, by the time that 20 minutes has gone by and you start, uh, you know, uh, getting enough calories for a meal, your body's able to be like, all right, it's time to slow down. I'm satiated. But boy, you could down that in a milkshake, you know, before you even know it. I have just a few more questions for you. One of them is, I forget the term, it was in your book, and it was, if somebody saw that there was a way out to lose weight, then they would be more likely to just eat more. I think we just barely talked about it with diet pills, but with your app, we have all these tweaks that we can add into our diet so that it'll make weight loss easier. So how can we not fall into that trap of, well, I'm eating yeah. cumin and I'm I'm, right. I'm I'm lifting up the lower part of my bed like now. I know. Yeah. So that I can have the extra cookie because, yeah. look, I'm doing everything right. No, no, that's uh, and all we can really do is we can just be really conscious of that fact that there is the psychological quirk. Um, right. So I don't want that uh, my my the app to be the vitamin C pill that gets you to smoke a lot more. 
Yeah, so it's it's just critical to be aware of that. And, you know, uh, yes, you could add those tweaks to any kind of diet and accelerate the loss of body fat, but I hope the first half of the book will convince people that eating a healthy diet not only protects you against chronic disease, in fact, now protects you against infectious disease, but eating a healthy diet can make you know weight loss effortless. And then the second half of the book is really just accelerating your, uh, you know, bringing, you know, shortening the time span to reach your goals. But in terms of lifelong weight loss, it really is kind of what you went on a day-to-day basis. And it doesn't matter what you eat in your birthdays, holidays, special occasions, but on a day-to-day basis, we really should try to eat healthy foods. And I was chuckling because family member, they randomly drink green tea with vinegar in it every day. Like that sounds nasty to me. But I, but I started thinking about like the crazy bulletproof coffee with all the nasty like butter and all the things people add. And then someone right. making like a Gregor tonic with all the different spices, Whoa. green tea and vinegar. Whoa. And then they're like, ooh. <laughs> it's like the opposite of the bullet coffee. Yeah. Well, I mean, people do like just apple cider vinegar and like hot water drinking as tea. And so why not have some green tea? Hey. You never know. Add some Let's garlic powder, add some cayenne pepper. <laughs> uh, put it to the Plug your nose. Yeah. <laughs> Nasty. Was it hard to read the audiobook? Because it's 24 hours long. Oh, my God. It's brutal. My poor vocal cords were not happy. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Yeah. It took me two weeks. You did such an incredible yeah. job with that. Like, I was super impressed. Uh. Yeah, I'm recorded the the new pandemic book too. Only took me only took me five days because it's only like you know 500 pages instead oh of gosh. God knows what the, the yeah how not to die came up to be. Yeah. Yeah. Do you want to tell us really quick about the new book? That way people can go out and get that too. Oh yeah. So how to survive a pandemic? Just you know, I cover everything there is to know about how to protect yourself and your family uh, from the coronavirus. You know, from you know respiratory hygiene, hand hygiene, uh, disinfection, best masks, and you know, how to make your own hand sanitizer, that kind of thing. But the best way to survive the pandemic is to prevent it in the first place. So the book of the book talks about tracing the origins of the COVID-19 coronavirus. And you know what we can do to prevent even greater infectious disease threats down the road. Yeah. Awesome. Well, thanks so much for taking the time to come back on the show, Dr. Gregor, and for all the amazing work you're doing to change the world. You're one of my heroes, and it's always Aww. a pleasure to talk to you. <laughs> Thank you so much. Can't wait to be back after my next book, which will be out December 22, How Not to Age on Longevity. Wow, we squeezed in a lot in the 30 minutes of time that we had there. I hope you guys got a lot of good information out of that podcast. And for more, make sure you check out How Not to Diet. Go to nutritionfacts.org. Pick up Dr. Greger's free Daily Dozen app. The sky is the limit with how much information you want to consume from this guy and how much of a nutrition expert you want to become. And that's the really great thing about the internet and all of the information we have access to is that we can take personal responsibility for our health and the information is out there. So I hope you guys enjoyed this podcast. I'm with you on this journey of personal development and the quest to be our best selves every single day. We'll see you right back here next week.